Thanks a lot, guys. That was beautiful. Trust your heart. It's just so encouraged this morning. Listen, uh, as we continue our series in James, uh, our heart is that we would learn and grow from it. In James, we have uh, Jesus, who's the half-brother of Jesus. He's writing to a group of people who were like scattered around the countryside because persecution was coming. And uh, we don't know when persecution is coming in, uh, in our lives, but we know that uh, we should expect trials to come our way. And so as we kind of look at, at James chapter 1, we want to, uh, to learn from it, we want to grow from it, we want to place our trust in Christ as we read and, and grow and, and take a look at it. So James chapter 1, uh, if you're kind of following along, this is the second part of the James series, really the third part, because we took a look at Acts, if you remember, chapter 15, where we got a, got a, got a glimpse of uh, who James is and what he's all about. And, uh, and now we're looking at verses 12 through 18 in James chapter 1. So I'm going to read that, and, uh, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll jump right in, okay? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Lord, we have victory in Jesus. Victory. We sang in the previous song, and in that one too, I think, the, the idea of we're, we're going to see the face of Jesus and be in your presence. Heaven is real. We say that not because of a modern movie or book. We say that because there's a blessed hope that we experience when we know for sure that Jesus will return and we will be with you forever. Father, we want to live heavenly faithfulness to you now. We do not want to wait. We do not want this to be a someday proposition. We all have strengths in us, and, and we naturally rely on those strengths in us, and we know that you send trials so that we'll trust you. And so we need help to learn and grow. We need help to understand, and so we pray for it today. You said in James 1, uh, 5, if we lack wisdom, we should ask for it because you're going to give it in abundance to us, and so we're, we're trusting that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're like me at all, you spend a, a lot of life trying to avoid trials. 
and, and you see hard stuff coming and you try to put yourself in a position where you, you don't have to bear up under hard stuff, you rather avoid the hard stuff. That's a human condition, to be sure. Nobody signs up for hardness. Nobody, nobody says, listen, what I need from God today is a few more trials. That would really make things go well for me, right? Nobody signs up for that. Nobody prays for that. And this scripture does not teach us to sign up for more trials. But it does teach us to set our expectation from God regarding who he is and what he's really all about. If you think for a minute that God is up in heaven trying to organize your life so that you can have the most freedom and happiness and resources and stuff and the least pain, God is going to disappoint you all throughout your life. And, and that is the heart of what James is addressing in this passage, that we not have a wrong understanding of God which would lead us to jettison him, throw him off, and live a life apart from him that would be a life of death. I mean, that's the, that's the passage summarized there. Don't think for a minute that God exists for your comfort and, and for your uh, using to get good stuff from him. Because again, when trials start to come, you're going to start looking at him going, wait, wait a second, wait a second. This isn't what I signed up for. The whole of James chapter 1 is to say, guys, there's going to be trials. There's going to be hard stuff. Don't get it in your head that God's trying to keep hard stuff from you. He's doing something in you and for you in the midst of the hard stuff. Dare I say it? He's sending you the hard stuff. He wants you to go through the hard stuff. And in going through the hard stuff, well, as we look at James chapter 1, we're going to see his heart for us and why. Why does he send hard stuff to people? Why can't he just give us a little taste of heaven on earth and, and, and kind of you know, insulate us for, for a life, a heaven to come? Isn't this supposed to be some kind of a, a life of 50, 60, 80 years where we just have good and, and, and happy and, and comfort from God and then we go to be with him forever? Well, James 1 is saying, no, that's not the heart at all. So look at chapter uh, 1, verse 12. The first thing we learn about trials, there's a connection between trials and temptation. But the first thing we, we see is that trials come, every trial comes with a promise. There's a promise attached to the trial that you're going through today. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Can I just stop right there? We learn a lot about trials just from reading that clause, don't we? There's a a blessedness that comes to the man, and I think it's amazing that in the first part of these verses, when James is talking about trials, he is talking about the man, and the, the, the thing that I want us to grow from, he means man or woman, the individual But the point of these words is to say that when we come to trials, we often become isolated in the trial. The church is all about community and connectedness and sharing and friendship. But listen, the great lessons of your life are going to be learned when God sends a trial to you that no one else can help you bear. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Blessed is the individual who remains steadfast 
under trial. Your wife cannot learn the lesson for you that God has for you. You cannot learn the lesson for your student, for your child, and then just tell them what the information is. It doesn't work that way. Well, it'd be great if it did, wouldn't it? Because we could all just espouse information and truths to one another, but the point of the trial is not that we learn information and truths. The point of the trial is that we love God. We're going to see that at the end of verse 12. He wants us to love him. He wants us to trust him. So God sends trials our way to teach us about who he is and to teach us about, what, about ourselves in, the, in this life. But the, the first thing we see here is blessed is the man. The concept is he's, he's speaking to these individuals who are scattered around the countryside, isolated from the, the congregation in little pockets of people all around and who are learning these lessons in their soul. God, I've been teaching you a lesson in your soul. A lesson that really you know no one else can learn. You try to tell them. They, they give you the stone face. They don't get it. Try to ask for help. You don't get it because they can't enter in and support you the way you needed support. And you're at this place where you, you are stripped, stripped of everything before the Lord and you're just having to say, okay, Lord, are you enough? Guys, there's a, an amazing book, and I commend it to you, and it's written by uh, Kara Tippetts, and uh, she's a 38-year-old young woman who uh, was diagnosed with bre- breast cancer, and uh, she tells in it her, her story of coming to grips to understand, what is God doing in my heart? And, and I'm going to read just the, the, the foreword from her, excuse me, the, uh, the intro, she kind of kind of sets out what she was like. Here she was. She's a church planter's wife. She's, a, she's ministering from a position of strength. She's encouraging the people around her. And God put her in a place where she had, she had no strength. Before the cancer, she said, I would have said I was on a journey of seeking grace. But in truth, I was manufacturing my own faith. If I found a need, I met it. My going, my doing, my loving, that was my faith. Not my nearness to Jesus. In my mind, I knew my efforts weren't the substance of my faith, but my practice betrayed me. Stripped of my ability, I saw Jesus in a new and profound way. Face down on my cancer bed, I could not manufacture anything. I couldn't serve. I couldn't gather friends, neighbors, the broken, to build community. I was helpless. I was a church planter's wife who could not be left alone to care for my own three-year-old daughter. There were days when I could not walk downstairs to join my family for a simple meal. In those moments, I could do nothing else but begin to hunt for grace. And I found it in the bottom of myself, my illness, my terrible. I found the Jesus who humbly washes the feet of his disciples. Hunting for grace and living from your heart are not simple decisions. Learning the gift of each breath and spending it all in big, big love is the greatest calling of my remaining days. Yours too. The high calling of today is set before us both. To be humbled by the grace of God. Her blog is called Mundane Faithfulness and it still exists though she passed away about two months ago. 
She's best known for writing a, an open letter to Brittany Maynard, if you remember, about five months ago when Brittany moved out to Washington to, com- to commit suicide because she had an equally devastating diagnosis. And Kara said, Oh, Brittany, oh, that you would find Jesus. Oh, that you would see that this trial is not, does not exist to trip you up, but to show you the love and faithfulness of Jesus. And that's where we get, we get tied up, guys. We get tied up in thinking that God is all about our, our, our peace. He's all about giving us abundance. But the reality is that, that God wants to teach us that he is enough. In her book, she asked this question. If, if God takes away, if he would take away your, your strength and give you weak, if he takes away your resources, if he takes away your friends, is Jesus enough? It's a question of your trial. Without your ministry, without your job, in the midst of a broken relationship. Listen, don't wait for the trial to be over before you learn to love, before you learn to trust, before you learn to live for Jesus Christ. And so Jesus sends us these trials. God sends us these trials. Trials come in many forms, but look at, we're going to, they, they tempt us to doubt God's goodness. They tempt us to say, well, listen, if God is good, this would not be happening in my life. And so here I am in this trial, and if in the midst of the trial, I think it's God tripping me up, I'm going to doubt that he is good. Trials tempt us to, to doubt God's strength. If God were strong enough, this trial would go away, we think. Guys, trials tempt us to doubt God's word. Doesn't God intend better for me? And here I am in the midst of this trial, and I read all the good parts. That's what I tend to do. I read the good parts. I'm waiting for the good to come. And here I am experiencing the bad in my life. And so I start to doubt God's word. Isn't that what Satan did when he walked into the garden in Genesis chapter 2 to Eve and and is saying to her, listen, um, did God really say that? And the essence of my trial is to shake my surety and to shake my belief that God's word is sufficient. Did he say it? So in the midst of our trial, it is so important that we hold on to the clear texts, that we hold on to the clear word of God, that we don't doubt in the midst of the trial what God has revealed to us. Trials can tempt us to doubt that God loves you. Maybe, he's, maybe, maybe I did something wrong at the beginning of this whole thing. Maybe I'm not in the faith. Maybe God doesn't love me. And so these trials come, but we've got to remind ourselves what trials are really all about, right? We're not called to manhandle the trial. We're not called to, to make something happen in the midst of the trial. We're not called to avoid the, the trial. We're not called to, to be praying only for release in the midst of the trial. Do you, do you get yourself there? I get myself there. Here I'm in the trial, and the only thing I pray about the trial, Lord, end it. Lord, end it. Lord, end it. Listen, nothing wrong with asking God to end the trial. But it is a beautiful thing for me to enter into a trial and ask, Lord, what are you teaching me when you took away all those resources from me? How am I learning that Jesus is enough? It is a beautiful thing for me to not just get so fixated on the end of the trial that I miss God in the midst of the trial. 
He wants to draw you close to his heart. You know the best gift is, is for you? Because here, here are the two options, really. What if God would say to you, listen, I'm just going to let you live this life of comfort and ease and all through life you have this, this faith where you go out and make it happen and you go out and serve and you go out and, and minister to people and you go out in your strength and, and it's all about you and you get to the end of your life and you've learned all about you, how to physically and emotionally and mentally get yourself to a position of serving other people. But, but sometimes God takes all that away. And he wants to teach you. When he takes all that away, he is enough. Tune your ears. Keep track of the trials. Track what God's doing in your life. Reflect in your journal. Two weeks ago, when, when Gary spoke in the first part of James, he said, Count your trials. Count them all joy, and we're going to talk about that as we go ahead this morning. But count them. Analyze them. Think through them. Ask, what is God doing in the midst of this? Don't spend all of your efforts trying to fix them and avoid them and trying to get from out from under them. Look what it says here in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Guys, a, a trial is, is a hardness meant to teach us about God's love. It's a grace to us. We learn grace in the midst of the trial. And so God sends these trials to teach us who he is and what he's all about. And so he calls us to be steadfast. That is to hold to his word. That is to minister in the midst of it. That is to cry out in prayer, not just that the trial would end, but, oh God, you see me, I need you. That is to live for heaven in the midst of the trial, longing for a day when the trials will be gone. Guys, we are made for heaven. We have a faithful God who's going to redeem us and bring us to be with him one day. And that day is a future day. He's teaching us right now to live our life so that others can see that heaven is real in you. And in me, God's, God gives us testings not to trip us up. We just finished a, a whole season of uh, uh, graduations. And by the way, for so many of you who have graduated or have people in your family that have graduated recently, congratulations. It's an amazing time. Tests are not given this time of year to try to fail people, usually. All right, some, sometimes that happens. I had teachers that seemingly that was their motive, but I think that revealed more about me than it did about them. But that's another story for another day. God is not in the business of putting you through trials to to prove something to himself. He doesn't need to prove your faith to him. He gave you the faith. He knows what it is. He doesn't need to, to... prove something or try to trip you up. He's not trying to see, if I put them in this situation, will they, will they sin? God knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going on. The tests come for us. The tests come to teach us, stop trusting your own strength. Stop, stop thinking about this from your own perspective. Let's, let's learn and grow. And, and let's see what it looks like to 
trust the strength that God would give. Let's see what it looks like when you learn that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, actually lives in you. Have you learned that lesson? Because that, that, I believe, is what it looks like to bear up under the trial. To prove that, that God has placed the deposit of his Holy Spirit in you and that he is alive in you. Your trial exists to teach you that God is real. He's present in your life. How many times have I missed the whole point of the trial? And when I do that, I try to get out from under it. I try to do it my own way. I try to go my own way, and I don't learn the lesson. And you know what happens invariably for me? God teaches me that again the next time. You didn't learn it. Let's try this again. I want you to bear up under this trial. I want you to be faithful. And so he puts me in positions. He teaches me things in the trials that I could never learn in the peace. What have you learned this year in the trial that you would have never learned without the trial? That God is real? What to do with tears? How to pursue God when someplace in your flesh doesn't want to? And and all of this in this isolated world of God teaching your your, your soul because someone else can't enter in just perfectly and, and tell you what you have to learn. God is so good to us. He draws us to this place of having nothing else, no props. We have no foundations. We have nothing else. We have nothing we can hold ourselves up on. We have nothing we can puff ourselves up with. And he speaks to us in that place of trial and says, listen, I want you to learn here. I am enough. What a good God we have. That he wouldn't let us live a life of comfort in this world thinking that that was all thinking that that was sufficient. He doesn't want you or me to live for this world. Listen, don't compare your trials to other people's trials. What you need to do is learn the lesson of your trial for you. And, and so what we do is we, we learn that in my uh, failures and in my tendency to isolate, I want, I want to make it about me. But what we have to do is learn in the midst of that trial or that failure, we need to learn how to go back to God and live in repentance. Because some trials come because of my sin. Not all of them, but some of them. And, and then where we have victories and we overcome, we're learning of God's faithfulness, and then we're learning to tell the church, listen, God isolated me. Blessed is the man who endures under these hard places. He's taught me for you. And we're going to learn that when we get to uh, the final verses of this, of this uh, passage here together. Your promised reward. Listen, there's a promised reward that's coming. The promised reward was that Jesus will be enough in you, and secondly, that there's a crown of life waiting for you for those who endure steadfast trials. Guys, I don't understand the, the, the rewards of God. You know, theologically speaking, Jesus is our reward. We'll be with him forever. In heaven, we're not going to have like, like this uh, idea of uh, caste system kind of things. And, and so we do know this, that we will be rewarded with heaven. Life is our reward. Our sins are forgiven. So what does it mean that we have a crown of life if we endure trials? I'll just say bluntly, I don't fully know. Okay, rewards, yes. 
We cast our crowns at his feet when we get to heaven. So it's all for him. But, but he says here, there's going to be a reward. I believe it. You endure steadfastly under trial. There is a reward that comes from God for you. That, I hope that motivates you. I hope that encourages your heart that you are, to, you are to endure steadfastly and faithfully and that God is keeping track just as you are keeping track of what's going on with your trials. And so we, we receive the crown of life. Isn't that an incredible thing? I, I really do believe that the crown of life is a twofold thing, meaning this, the crown is that we're not going to get to the finish line and find out, well, we finished last, we are, we are dis, uh, uh, disqualified from the race. The crown is the honor. We are honored by God as we endure in him. We're proving that Jesus is real, we're living that out, and we are enduring for him. So we get a crown. And the other thing that I'm afraid of is not only being disqualified or being embarrassed somehow, I'm afraid of death. I, I don't like the idea of death. Now, I'm not afraid in the sense that, that oh, no, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm afraid in the sense that, well, that's going to be weird to die, okay? And so the crown of life is this twofold thing that says, listen, you'll be re- rewarded with life in God's presence forever. Boy, that's beautiful. You don't have to be afraid. You're not going to be put to shame at the end as you endure the trials. So every trial, secondly, not only it comes with a promise, so, so endure the trial that you find yourself in, but uh, every trial uh, comes with a temptation. Now, now, guys, if we are thinking that God is supposed to keep us happy and taken care of and we'll have no problems and no pain, then the next step is for me to get away from, is, is the next step away from God is for me to say, well, if you will not give me that life that I expected from you, I'm going to start rethinking my whole relationship with you. The, the trial is sent of God to teach you grace. The temptation is me reinventing God the way I want him to be. Listen, when we start to reinvent God the way I wanted him to be, rather than receiving from him the trial that he intended for us to teach us how to live in this world, that is the beginning of death. When we start saying, you know what, I don't like that God who would give me trials. I don't don't like that God who would leave me exposed to trouble. I don't want to learn a lesson that's hard to learn. And so look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So it says, look, when, when you're, now when I'm tempted, I'm blaming God. It's his fault. Isn't that exactly what Adam did? God, the woman that you gave me messed me up here in the garden. That's what he said. The woman that you gave me messed me up. Your gift of grace was insufficient. And so, yeah, it's really your fault, actually, if you think about it. This is his position. Listen, my friend. It's my position. When I say to God, I will not receive a trial at your hand to teach me to be more like Christ. I will not receive a trial at your hand to teach me that Christ lives in me. I will not receive a trial in your hand that teaches me for heaven, that that prepares me for heaven. And so instead, I judge you, God. I judge you to be insufficient. 
You should have kept me from that. You should have kept me from that temptation. And now look what we begin to do is we begin to develop this little area of our our life where I say, well, I, I know that trial comes from God. I believe it in my brain. But you know what? Sometimes we say it. Sometimes we just go on with life and we just do it. I'm bitter. I start cultivating this little bitterness over here. I'm going to complain against God. Anyone who will listen, I'm not happy with God. And we start cultivating this, this new little sin over on the side. We start complaining. We start gossip. We start bitterness. We start anger. We start the murmuring. And we, we, we get this little sin over here. And it all started because in the trial, I didn't believe that God would send me a trial. And so I'm going to start living. And I'm going to start cultivating. And I'm going to start growing this little sin. Can I just tell you? When I start growing a little sin in my life, it is death to my soul. There's no playing with sin, my friends. There's no cultivating a little sin and getting away with it. There's no saying, there's no saying I don't like the t- temptation, so I'm just going to have a little murmuring, and God's going to have to deal with my little murmuring. When I start doing that, the sin process starts in my life that's going to take over. It's going to have its way. It's conceived, and it's a baby, and it starts to grow, and as it grows up, it produces a life of death in my soul. And it all started when I said, I I don't like that God sends trials to me. See what's happening here? The connection between the trial. The trial was meant to prove God. The trial was meant for my good. The trial was meant to show me that Jesus is enough. But now I'm tempted to say, I don't like that. And I've got murmuring. And I've got disobedience, but no one sees it. It's just a little disobedience. It's a pet disobedience. It's an acceptable disobedience in the church. And so I start to grow it and grow it. And listen, none of us can control what that sin's going to look like when it grows up. It's going to grow into death. And that's literally what it says. Verse uh, 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person, see we're still isolated, each person, what you think in your mind, So important. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. It wasn't God drawing you away. It was you. It was me. I wanted to complain. I wanted to be bitter. I wanted a reason to be dissatisfied with God. I wanted that. And so the word enticed there means I purposefully stopped resisting. I purposefully stopped and I started giving in to the murmuring, to the bitterness, to the brokenness, and then embracing that in such a way that it became sin. Now listen, when we go through hardness and trials, I'm not saying it's wrong to hurt. I'm not saying it's wrong to have dark days. I'm saying it's wrong to start, to start feeding little sins on the side and being drawn away by them and enticed, blaming God the whole time for why you're bitter and why you're murmuring, why it's sin. 
in your life. That's what we're getting at today. That's what James is getting at today. Guys, while you are strewn across the countryside, separated by persecution, don't allow yourself to become dissatisfied with God in such a way that you miss the point that these troubles have come so you can minister the gospel where you are right now. Listen, if you have had trials in your life, you have met people through those trials that are opportunities to bring Jesus to bear on their life. I know it to be true. I've met so many people who said, you know what, you can, I can't tell you how many doctors, nurses, neighbors I've met because of the trial I'm going through. I would have never met them except that God put me through this trial. God's given you and me an opportunity to minister faithfully. But if in that trial my neighbor receives a sinful heart of murmuring and bitterness, what am I telling them? What am I showing them about God? He's not enough. Well, the whole purpose of the trial is to show you that he's enough. He's sufficient for you. He cares about you. He sees you. He loves you. And if you look back in verse 12, I love the way that verse 12, and I know we're kind of bringing these verses all together. Blessed is the man who who, uh, remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which we already talked about, which God promised to those who serve him enough. No. God promises the the crown of life to those who are strong enough in the inner person to just stoically get through it. No. God promises the crown of life to those who in the midst of the trial love God. He promises the crown of life to those who have learned it's not a bunch of words. It's not a bunch of information. At the end of the day, it's not just a bunch of truths to believe. It's Jesus to love. Do you love him? I mean, is your trial pushing you to say, I need in the inner recesses of my soul, I need him. I love him. I embrace him. Because that's where the crown of life comes to those who love God. So, we see that this temptation we have to start doubting God. And it's so popular in our world today. There's all these conversations going around everywhere around us. If God really is strong enough, then I wouldn't have trouble in my life. And because I have trouble in my life, God's not strong enough. Or God's plenty strong, uh, but he's just not good. He's just not good. And so if God's not good enough, that's not the kind of God that I really want to serve. And listen... Here's what we're saying is that that is the exact thing that James is confronting here. He is saying if we are in a position where we are judging God for the trials coming into our life, we are going to walk away from him. And and in essence, we uh, will begin to try to judge him for who he is. No, the trial has come to teach you that he's enough, to teach you his ways, to teach you to, to truly love heaven. So beware. Beware to interpret Scripture when you come to it with your mind made up about what it says. I say that because so many times in the midst of our sin, we're cultivating this little sin on the side, and then we decide that this bitterness, this is okay. This, this sexual sin, this is okay. This financial sin, this is okay. And then we come to the Word of God, and we read it, and we say, well, I'll read it, but my first My first principle is that this sin is okay because of how God has treated me unfairly. 
And so I'll read the scriptures, but I'll read the scriptures after I've decided that my murmuring, in my case, is okay. What? Listen, we can't come to God like that. And if we do, we're showing that we have reinvented God. And he's no God at all. We're James 1. We're denying who God says he is. And so we don't come to him cultivating some secret sin on the side. We come to him with arms open saying, Lord, whatever you would convict me of, show me that Jesus is enough in the midst of this trial. I will be steadfast and faithful, meaning I will do what your word teaches me to do. I will not make excuses for why I should be able to sin, though I am disappointed with you, while I am disappointed with you in the midst of this trial. No, we come to the word and we say, okay, Lord, I'm at the end of me. Listen, when you're at the end of you, something new can start. Oh, it's good to get to the end of you. It's good for something new to start. Especially when God is the one doing it. Every trial comes with a promise. Every trial comes with that temptation. But listen, every trial comes to teach the family of God a lesson about who God is. Every trial comes to teach the Christian family that God is good and that God is faithful. Even though you learn your trial in the recesses of your soul many times alone, you learn that lesson for all of us. You know that? It's for the family. Look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved Brothers, oh, that's rich. Verse 16, I believe, is what teaches me in this passage. Don't be deceived that God exists to give you happy life with no troubles and full resources and no pain. Don't think like that. Don't be deceived. No. God sends you trials to teach you he's sufficient. But then he goes on from there. And he says, my beloved brothers. And he's right back to this motivation for love, but he's using a new word now. He's not saying the man. He's not saying what you learn individually when God isolates you and teaches you. He's saying brothers, all of us, the family. Don't forget that James was a half-brother of Jesus. He uses the word brothers. It means something deep. He grew up in a home where he rejected Jesus all throughout Jesus' ministry. Into their adulthood, James said, I don't think so. I don't think so. And not until Jesus was raised from the dead did James go, I think so. I I think I get this. So here James grew up in a broken home with Jesus, in in a splintered home with Jesus at his side. And he's saying, my beloved brothers, my beloved family members, guys, come on. Don't be deceived in this. Embrace the trial that God has sent you to teach you that Jesus is sufficient for you and he's enough for you. Verse uh, 17, as we continue down, uh, uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is, is from above. And there is just 
there's twofold thing I think we need to learn about these gifts that come to us. We've already talked about how we need to analyze the, the trial that we're going through. In the midst of the trouble that you're going through, I would love it if you would keep a journal. Again, Kara Tippett speaks in, in her book about the, the things that she comes to value while she's going through cancer, and she keeps the blog, The Mundane Faithfulness. If you haven't read The Hardest Piece, I encourage you to read it. But she, she writes about the things that she began to, to uh, accept as gifts from God. And in her, her open letter to Brittany Maynard, she wrote to Brittany, Brittany, every breath that fills your lungs is another gift. Guys, I take God's grace for granted so much. I don't fill my journal with things I'm thankful for like that. Today. Breath in your lungs that work. A Bible in your language sight to read it, a mind to embrace it, a spouse to encourage it, a child to model it before, money to put food on the table. And we could go right down the list of the good gifts that come from this unchanging God in heaven who put the stars in their place and loves you. Man, do you keep a journal like that? where you are amazed and astounded day by day that you can hear? Some of you have hair that grows. Others don't. We go down the list of that which we can be thankful for in our lives. And, and it's amazing how trials teach us to count our blessings. But that's not all we learn to count. Because I believe that what he's saying here in verse 17, every good gift comes down from the Father above it's a perfect gift. I believe what he's saying is is right back up to the trials of the first verses where he's saying, guys, the trial themselves is the gift. He wants to teach you that this world is not everything. He wants to teach you that the American dream is not his dream. He wants to teach you that you can minister in the midst of your hurt and pain. He wants to teach you. And so he sends that hard situation and that hard trial into your life. And in the midst of that trial, two months down the road, three months down the road, six months down the road, you have learned some amazing things that you would have never learned otherwise. Keep a journal. What have you learned? Because God was good enough to send you the trial. Maybe you learned how to be quiet. Maybe you learned how to identify the sin that you were cultivating. Doesn't mean it goes away overnight because look, it's a a child and now it's growing up. Right? But maybe it starts to go away daily as you give it over to the Lord and say, Oh Lord, now I see this murmuring. It's a sin. This expectation I had of you, it's a sin. You were sending me good gifts to teach me. I I had this whole secret, private area of my life, and I grew it up. Oh, Lord, you have taught me. That is not what you want for me. It's not what you have for me. 
And so you're learning and you're growing. Guys, the, the gift, the good gift that God gives to us is the trial. And so my heart for us is that we begin to truly embrace what God is teaching us in trials. And that in the midst of the trial, we, we believe the truth. As we kind of come to the end of these last verses, every good gift, it comes down from the Father of lights. Do you see that, that he's saying to these people scattered to the various places and regions, feeling alone and isolated, learning these, these hard lessons through trials, and he, he puts them right back where they need to be in understanding. Guys, we're all in the family, and God is our Father. One of the things I take from that is that one of the things we should be so thankful for is the church family that God has called us to identify with. Now, I am prejudiced. I know that I am. And I also think that I'm representative, meaning that it's okay for me to share my own personal story to you about this issue. But can I just tell you, I... I love this church family. I love this church family. I love that Kari Virgil has a baby that just cried in the middle of the service. And seriously, I love that because he's a gift from the Lord, that baby. But guys, we love each other. We have gone through it together. We have gone to battle with one another. We have been there at the bedside. We have been there at the cemetery. We have been there after the, after the doctor called. We have been there in the tears. We have been there for one another when we didn't know what to do next. And isn't that what James 1.5 means? We don't know what to do next. Ask of God. Ask of God. Because he's going to give wisdom, which is how to apply the word of God to your next choice. What do I do next? We don't know what to do next. It's okay not to know what to do next. We've been there for one another when we didn't know what to do next. Guys, it is a beautiful thing to embrace. We are the first fruits. In this body, God is doing a work of his grace in this place. If you're a guest or if you're newer to us today, you're in town for a graduation, we welcome you and we want you to feel the love that we have for one another. And we don't want this to be a kind of, well, I love you if there's no trials. But when there's trials, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do next. You know what we want it to be? Mundane faithfulness. Every day. Jason Tippett's Kara's husband, uh, one of his great quotes that I love is that tomorrow we get to wake up and be faithful. That's who we want to be as a family here. Tomorrow we get to wake up and be faithful. You do that for 50 years, and you're going to find that your story is so interconnected with others who have, are following Christ with you in this place, God will be glorified in such profound ways. Every trial comes to teach the Christian family that God is good. And God is faithful. Can I encourage you? Bring your trial. Bring the lesson of your trial to your friends. Because they'll help you learn more from your trial 
And they'll pray for you in the midst of your trial, and they'll encourage you, and they'll ask you, and then you'll find that you're bringing your trial to them is actually a huge encouragement to them. Because when you went through your trial and learned not to, to doubt God in the midst of that and learned to let Jesus live out through the midst of your trial, your friends need to see what that looks like in your life. Yes, it's for you. Yes, you were isolated. Yes, they couldn't learn it for you. But you learned it for them. And give it as a gift to them and say, listen, I have no expectation on you, but I just want to share. This is what God is going on in my life. And we share our lives with one another, mundane, faithful-like, day after day after day. And, and we find that God is enough. Jesus is enough. So guys, as we close up today, I am so encouraged. If you were going through a trial, our heart would be that you receive it from the Lord. We don't know. No one knows exactly what God is doing all the time in the midst of your trial. I don't know the answer to that. But this I know. He's stripping everything away to teach you that Jesus is enough. Don't be tempted in those moments to to have these secret areas of your life It becomes sin. Hold to the word. Hold to God's word in that moment because the trial that God has sent you is from the Father of lights. It's for all of us. He is making a people for his glory in this place and for the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. And we hold on together, mundane faithfulness, day after day. Tomorrow, we get to be faithful. Let's stand and be dismissed. We're a prayer. Lord, I pray for the heart that is so in such a dark place, in such a hard place right now, that they didn't hear most of the words that were just shared. And that's okay. We know there are dark places like that. We know that some people don't need the sermon to the masses. They need somebody holding their hand and weeping with them. Help us be those people. Help us be your hands and feet, Lord. Father, when we go through that trial, we need help to see that at least that yes, you are faithful and yes, you are calling us to yourself and yes, Jesus is enough. And Father, help us put that grace on display for one another because we know in this place you are making for yourself a people transformed and that you, our Heavenly Father, have placed every star in its place. And in you there is no turning and no changing. So Father, help us as a congregation to love you to grow in you, and to keep our eyes fixed on you, even when we go through trials. In Jesus' name, amen.